Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Syrupcast, Mobile Syrup's Canadian tech-focused podcast. I'm Patrick O'Rourke, and Brad Bennett, a man who refers to himself as the bad boy of tech, is once again across the internet from me at an undisclosed location. How are you doing, Brad? I'm good. I'm hiking the Appalachian Trail today, and that's been causing some internet connectivity issues. I mean, the listeners won't know, but this is our 100th time trying to record this episode all because of me. This this may be uh, take two of the the opening sequence of the Syrupcast. I, we'll, we'll never admit to it, but it, it very well could be. Yeah, we would never admit that. This week, John Lamont is also on the podcast once again. How are you doing, John? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm streaming in with some excellent internet connection, so definitely not my fault <laughs> that we're on take two. <laughs> yeah, I just upgraded my internet to, uh, to gigabit, so I don't think it's me, but mm-hmm. uh, it always could be. So... On this week's episode, we're focusing on Sonos's new Roam Bluetooth portable smart speaker. Bennett has all the details on that. And we're also going to talk about Kudo pretty much entirely backpedaling on its $5 Canada-wide calling add-on after quote-unquote thoughtful review. So uh, that's going to be an interesting conversation. But as always, before we get to all of that, Bennett, please hit us with the hottest news of the week. too hot to touch this week, but I'll dive in anyway. So uh, this actually came on just before we started recording, but Rogers is now adding 750,000 more households to its affordable internet initiative. So if you make a certain amount of money, you can apply for this cheaper internet from Rogers, which is $10 a month, 25 megabytes per second download and five megabytes up, which those are not the greatest speeds. And I know there's a lot of people that have issues with this because it's not quite enough for modern day internet, but $10 $10 for that, it gets people online. And I think more people involved in that with this Rogers initiative is exciting. Always always a fan of more people getting online. Yeah, that's that's cool. Like, I, I don't have anything really to add to it. But I mean, the carriers are pretty evil. So it's nice to see when they do something that is not evil. Yep, <laughs> definitely. Um, and then after that, this is something I think this came across uh, last night. But on March 17th, Samsung is holding another Unpacked. We assume it's for their mid-range A-series devices, but because it's like a big unpack, this could be something more. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's going to be A-series devices. I I don't see the foldables being revealed. The last rumors we saw of the Z Fold 2 and the, uh, sorry, the Z Fold. I get these names mixed up all the time. It's the Fold 3. That's the next one coming. And then also the Z Fold 2, correct? Because there's the Z Fold 5G. Or is it the Flip? The flip, flip, it's flip. Okay. There's the the flip and the fold. Not to be confused with Samsung's giant whiteboard, also named the flip. <laughs> you know your names are good when you, you can't get them straight. But yeah, I, I this is mid-range. It's going to be the rumored A52. And I think, what's the other one called? The 72, the other mid-range yeah, phone? Yeah, 50 and 70. 72. Um, yeah, I'm also kind of hoping that they do another mid-range tablet. I mean, 
I'm pretty sure it was 2020. Yeah, I did it at home. The Galaxy Tab S6 Lite, I was always a fan of. I thought that was like a around $400 tablet. It was not the best tablet, but you could game on it. You could watch Netflix and it came with an include stylus. And I'm, just, I'm a big fan of the aspect ratio Samsung uses on its smaller tablets. I'm not necessarily a fan of all of the like superfluous stuff it adds on, but for that base level tablet, I was pretty excited about it. So if they could revamp that with a slightly less washed out screen, I think they'd have a pretty big hit. Nice. Yeah, I I do not care about Android tablets. So, <laughs> I, but I, I do think that the A series phones are are more important than some people think. I agree. Just uh, anecdotally, I know like five people that have an A series phone. Not not the most recent one, but one from a couple years ago. And I've played around with them and they're, they're pretty solid, right? Like they don't have all of the fancy bells and whistles, but they generally have all of the features that the average smartphone user cares about. Yeah, just also anecdotally, I used to work at Best Buy uh, in their mobile department selling phones. And I would say that one of the phones that I probably sold the most was an A-series device. I think at the time it was the A5. And there was a couple different versions of it in the time that I worked there, but it was always like a pretty reliable option and a really decent price for people. So I think Samsung's A-series are popular, and I think that the more expensive their Galaxy flagships get, the more popular the A-series phones become. Definitely. Actually, it'd be interesting to look back because we weren't, Dean may know, but because we were never like a super big, you know, the world just wasn't on mid-range like it is now, it'd be interesting to see if that also is like tracking a similar price increase over time compared to like when you used to work at Best Buy to know. But that's for another time. I'll move on. Yesterday, there was a big briefing about all these new Chromebook functions coming for the OS's 10th anniversary, which is kind of exciting. There's a few that I really like, and they all sort of focus on taking advantage of the app shelf, which, you know, on Mac, it's where all your apps sit on the bottom. On Windows, it's called the taskbar. It's where all the apps kind of sit in the start menu. On Chrome OS, that's called the shelf, but they added a lot of things to the right-hand corner of it. So there's a new phone hub where you can click and get access to like your Android phone. If you want to silence it, find out where it is, make it ring. You can see what tabs you had open on Chrome on there. Uh, you can also get like messages coming through in your Chromebook, which just tightly ties those two together, which is cool. The next thing also down in that shelf in the right-hand corner is something called Tote, which kind of acts like Mac OS's download stack, which is like tacked down into that bar. But quickly allows you to access files you've just downloaded. I mean, you can put other folders down there on macOS and stuff. But basically, this one's different because it will show you screenshots. It will show you files that you pinned there for quick access and your downloads. So I'm not sure who's getting like a lot of use out of it and what they're going to be using. But for me, in terms of like Photoshop, if that was on Chrome OS, this like tote thing would be a game changer for just like moving files and storing them in like a temporary location. I'm, I was super, super excited about it. I think it's really smart. The thing that blew my mind about your story about this, and I think partially it's just because I don't pay that much attention to Chrome OS because it's not an operating system I use every day, is the fact that it's 10 years old now. That yeah. <laughs> blows my mind. Yeah, to me, that's, like, that's insane. There's like a lot of things in my life that feel like they happened just yesterday and it's like 15, 10 years ago, but that ranks up there pretty high. Like I remember when Chrome OS launched and people were making fun of it. Um, and now it's this somewhat legitimate operating system that's, it's not super popular, but... One in five devices sold now is a Chromebook. There you it's go. More like it's more than popular MacBooks. than, it's more popular than I ever thought it would be, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's more popular than MacBooks. Like I think they sell more that's crazy devices than Mac devices. Not surprising given how much MacBooks cost. Yeah, exactly. But a big milestone for Chrome OS nonetheless. And the other thing, the one last thing I want to say, because this whole, like all adding all these features to the shelf thing, I'm just, I think it's really smart. And I think like that's an unusable bit of space on a lot of computers like Apple tried to do with the touch bar. 
but put that up onto the software side and having all those features like beside your apps and that unusable chunk, I think is very smart. But this other one is if they can pin the music app down there now, which is cool. So if you're playing music on Chrome OS, you can pin it to this bar for quickly, you know, play, pause, skipping, forward, back. But I think the intention is that you'll be able to pin more things, allowing you to like pin these mini apps to the taskbar. That's the, cool. The shelf, which I think, yeah, I think can open up a lot of like cool functionality for these like mini app experiences, depending on if it catches on or not. So still not the best for like creative people because you can't get Adobe's on it, but you know, Chrome OS, cool stuff. Moving on. The next thing we have is just Brad Shankar wrote a really cool article about this video game called Venba, which is like a cooking game, but not a cooking game, more of like a story game from a Toronto developer. And yeah, I don't know. I read through the article. I thought it was really touching and I honestly kind of excited to play the game. So I, I just wanted to talk about this so other people could go and read it. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. It's part of a, a broader series that he's doing where he's going to be talking to a different video game developer every month, usually Canadian whenever possible. So you'll see a lot more of that over the next couple of months on the site. And in regards to Venba, really cool, really cool indie game available on Steam right now. Yeah, good interview too. Like I think just the stuff he was able to get out of the developer, like it's a, it's a good read. Like I think it's a cool one. Beyond that, March 23rd is coming up. This is a pretty exciting date. OnePlus is announcing their new phones. Apple may be holding event. The rumors say that. We don't know if that's true or not, but... It better not. March For 23rd. reasons that, that I won't talk about on the podcast, but I am hoping that it's not going to be on the 23rd, and I have a feeling that it's not going to be. And if there is an Apple event this month, it'll be on the, the following Tuesday, which I think is the 30th. That's my guess. Like a birthday present for me almost. Ooh, um, that'd be cool. <laughs> But yeah, so that's exciting. Um, just because I do a lot of the OnePlus stuff, I'm excited for the OnePlus side of that. You know, they've got the OnePlus 9 series coming out with the new big Hasselblad lenses. We'll see if uh, you know that lives up to the hype. And then this last one I just added on, but basically this, from my eyes, the best rate plan in most of Canada. I mean, I know a lot of the Prairie Provinces in Quebec have slightly better plans than other places, but if you're in Ontario right now and some other places, the best plan is probably from Kudu or Virgin, and it is the... $50, 10 gigabyte a month plan, unless you guys have otherwise. Uh, I was going to ask, isn't Fido's plan around the same price or is there something different with Fido's? I don't know. I just, Fido was slower. So I figured like, unless you needed Fido, like unless you live in like a Rogers only serviced area, you're probably better off with Virgin or Kudu. Like if I was going to make an editorial call, none of us are on Fido for that reason. So I figured why would we suggest it? That is true. And now that Kudo has made their uh, changes to their plans, they're a much better option. Yeah, this was Virgin originally, but as we'll get into later in the podcast, Kudo uh, got back in our good graces after their thoughtful review. Yeah. Thoughtful um, review. Hashtag thoughtful, thoughtful review. Thoughtful review. But yeah, for anybody who is interested in Fido, I just pulled up their website and they also have the $50 10 gig plan that Virgin and Kudo have. As Brad said, Fido's data network is a little bit slower in some areas. So, you know, go with who you want to go with, but all three do offer that same plan. Fido has nice extras. That five hours of bonus data thing, I don't know how many people actually take advantage of it, but it could be cool, you know, if you want to just watch a movie in your way, not account against your data cap. That's all I have to say about Fido. Cool. Is that it for news? Yeah, that's the end of the hottest news. There was a lot of it this week, honestly. I was I could have put like 20 stories in here. Read mobilesyrup.com right now, guys. There's a, there's a lot of cool stuff on there. It's a busy, busy, busy march. Yeah, honestly, I went all the way back as far as uh, the 4th, I think, like last week, and just tons of stuff. All right, so let's talk about the Sonos Roam. 
it's a speaker. It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so like w- when I read your story and I know there's leaks about the Rome for weeks leading up to this, to me, it sounds like a smaller move, which is Sonos's sort of portable speaker, but it's also capable as working like a standard Bluetooth speaker. Like if you had a UE boom or something like that, that was my take on it. I know you haven't used it yet. You're going to get it. You're going to have a review up on the site at some point, but is that an accurate description of what the Rome is? Yeah, basically. I think this is the move for people who don't know is Sonos's last portable speaker. I think it came out two years ago and it is huge. It's like seven, six pounds. Maybe it's big. It's like just a giant speaker. It's not really like throwing your bag and lug around with you somewhere because then you have no more space in your bag for other things. The Rome, on the other hand, much smaller. If you have like a UE boom or even like a glass, like it's almost the same size as like a glass of water. You know, it's not a huge device. It fits in one hand, very small. So I think that'll be like, I think people will be way more excited because of the size of it. But beyond that, it is fairly similar to the Move, but it does have a few key software differences and uh, less speakers. What do you see the purpose of the Rome? being like is this you you just mentioned it right is this the type of speaker that someone throws in a backpack or is this the type of speaker that like i don't know here's an example say i have it sitting in my kitchen right i'm listening to music i want to go chill on my balcony for a while do i bring that outside is that how you would use this is there a dock that comes with it there is a dock but it's extra i think it's like 60 bucks it's like a magnetic wireless charging dock but it is like key charging compatible so if you have any like flat wireless charging stands you okay can that's cool slap it down on that which is cool so you don't need to buy the dock i don't know to answer that question like it's definitely more portable you don't want to take any of sonos's other speakers with you to like the beach or somewhere or like a cottage weekend or somewhere i mean maybe you do if you have tons of space and you need like a giant speaker to pump sound for like 40 people <laughs> if it's you and like four buddies hanging out i think the the Rome is way more appealing just because it's like small you know one thing about the the move i never have played it at full volume because it is a huge speaker that i would need a giant crowd of people to try and drown out with it you know what i mean like it's overkill yeah for like so many scenarios where i'm thinking the rome will fit in like a ue boom i use the ue wonder boom the smaller one probably the most often because i'm usually just hanging around with like i don't know one to four extra people maybe sometimes more but like a small speaker like that size will do us, you know? So I think Sonos is going to appeal to a lot of people with this new speaker, just mainly because of its lower price point and because it's actually portable. So because it has that lower price point, well, first of all, like how much does it cost? I think it's 229 Canadian. 229, okay. Because it has that price point, like does it still have that quality that people expect from Sonos? Like when I think of a Sonos speaker, I think of a device that's almost like an investment, right? Like if you bought the Sonos one, I think it came, the last refresh was in 2017. You still have, like, I know there's been like a minor refresh since, but you still have like a really solid, great sounding speaker. Is that still going to be the case with this? Or is it going to be more like Google Home where you feel like you have to get a new, you don't have to, but if you care about audio quality, you feel like you almost have to upgrade every couple of years because the new better one sounds that much better than the previous generation. Like that's how I felt with the Nest Audio. It's just so much better yeah. than the Google Home. Is that going to happen with this? Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't went hands-on with it yet, so I don't know like how good it sounds. That's really what I'm worried about. Like it is a cool speaker. It does like some cool features. If you're not involved in the Sonos ecosystem though, there will be like some cheaper options. I don't know if they'll be better yet. You know, Sonos has surprised me before with their sound and usually it's very balanced, which is what I like about it. Okay. So if they can accomplish that in a small speaker... I don't think they'll have distortion. I think it will be tuned well, just based on Sonos' track record, but I can't say definitively yet. 
Does it have Alexa and Google Assistant? Yep. And you can pick either one. Yep. Like when you're at home on Wi-Fi, it will act like a normal Sonos One or Sonos. That's really cool. That's why the dock is important, I think, is because then it will like sit on your counter and act like a normal speaker that you can take out. I have the dock with the Move. I think it comes with it, but I would recommend it to anyone that's getting the speaker. Getting like a dock for your wireless speaker is really honestly handy in a bunch of ways. It just, the speaker's always charged, has a place to live. But yeah, I think moving on with what sets this apart is just like the software features it brings, which is it finally, for the first time ever, allows Sonos users to Bluetooth something to their Sonos system through the Roam. I didn't know that you couldn't do that with Sonos speakers before. I, it's not something that I would do, but I, I just, it, it never occurred to me. It's unnecessary if you have an iPhone because like AirPlay works so well. But if you had an Android and you were using some sort of like niche service or had a locally downloaded song, there was a few hoops you had to get through to get it onto your system. So now you can just Bluetooth whatever to the Roam and then choose that as your like input in for your entire system and play music across it. Same way if you were like playing music from your TV through a Sonos soundbar, you could then put that TV audio to your entire system. Same way with this input through Bluetooth, which is something I think Sonos users have been asking for for a long time. I don't know if they are as much anymore as they used to be now that so many apps support it and AirPlay is so ubiquitous across, I think it just works. But um, I think people are going to be excited about that. I am. So is this a sign that like there's going to be more Sonos refreshes coming? Like I know I just talked about it, but I bought two Sonos ones back in 2017 um, we get all kinds of free speakers, but I had read about the Sonos One. I think back then Igor did most of our Sonos coverage. It sounded so good that like I just wanted one, right? So I went out and I bought two of them on like, I think they were on sale at some point. Not two for one, but like some kind of percentage cut off yeah. or whatever. Are we going to see a refresh of the One? Is there going to be new Sonos devices? Is this like the start of a full product line refresh? I don't know. I actually kind of hinted at that when I was asking questions in my briefing. So the Sonos Roam is the only Sonos with like raised buttons on it because it's just like a small thing. If you need to like grab it, you need to like tactilely feel where the buttons are. Unlike the uh, regular Sonos have these like touch capacitive buttons you just sort of like tap on and they don't, you don't feel any give. There's like a sound and that's what you get. Uh, if it's a big enough speaker, you'll feel some vibration, but it's kind of a weird system and you gotta like swipe across them and People don't really understand. Uh, so I was like, hey, are you guys going to bring these like raised buttons to more devices? You know, in my experience, people have no idea how to use Sonos speakers because the buttons are very straightforward. And they said they seemed like that was not going to happen. So I, I don't know if there's a huge refresh coming. And I also believe that like I think it was maybe around half a year ago or something. I had read an interview with Patrick Spence, the CEO. And in that he had said like the Sonos only plans to release two new products a year. That said, I don't know if that counts like refreshes. Cool. It'll be it'll be tucked tricky to see. I don't see Sonos refreshing a lot of their stuff. I think they got into a lot of trouble last year when they tried to phase out a lot of their old hardware. So I think they'll try to stay away from that for as long as possible. That makes sense. I remember when that happened when the the new app came out. Yeah. Yeah, and the really old like 10-year-old Sonos hardware was kind of getting phased out. Now they have like two apps, there's like an app for the old hardware and an app for the new hardware. So they kind of did backpedal and and make that appealing for people, but uh you know, I I just don't see them making any more risks like that anytime being. Before we wrap it up, at least just this section of the podcast, I know you you mentioned before just off the pod that Sonos's virtual briefings are actually pretty good. And this is a little inside baseball, but like we go to a lot of these virtual briefings now. We used to go to them in person. That's not a thing that's happening, obviously, anymore, given the ongoing pandemic. I always think that like the ones that I've seen, Apple does a good job, but they're very Apple-like. It's like watching a movie. Yeah, it's, it's like watching a movie. It's like, you don't need to go that hard in the paint. Like, it's yeah. a product launch. Like, I get it. You're Apple. This is what Apple does, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. But 
and and I know you can't like reveal everything in terms of behind the scenes what goes on at these briefings because they're off the record in some cases. But like, why do you think that Sonos's virtual briefings are so sick? I mean, this sounds bad, but they just like don't waste your time. Like you just like go in. It's like a tight 20, 25 minutes and like everything you need That's is in key. there. Yeah, exactly. Like if I'm wait, like listening to all these stats that aren't applying to me or this other arm of the business, blah, blah, blah. You know, companies take these like events or these virtual briefings as an opportunity to share a lot of things at once. Like, I mean, CES, I think we talked about this last time around CES, there was like a TP link briefing that was like an interactive exhibit that kind of looked like a video game that you had to click through and then videos like pop up and I had like scrape images and all this random stuff. And it's just like so much extra work to get the information that realistically we all know could more or less be described in a few paragraphs with like some concise writing. And then we could then translate that into some concise writing with opinion, I guess. But, you know, companies don't always do that. And they always like push us to do these crazy things. But Sonos is just like, hey, here's a tight like 20 minute presentation. We're basically, we'll give you like a quick few minutes with the CEO, just very quick, like almost not enough, which is like the opposite of everyone else. Just like quick updates, just quick hints, like, you know, they got through COVID, doing well, this is happening, hint, hint, blah, blah, blah. And then like just quick, here's the speaker, here's fact, 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 fact. And then at the end, it's like, here's a link to the press website, which is a website that in my opinion was almost better designed than a lot of like regular websites. And it just also was like fact, 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 lists, all the images to download at the bottom. Like everything was just really well put together and really efficient. And I think the efficiency of it, plus like just being put together in a, in a good way. Obviously, they go above and beyond where they have like these custom design sites and stuff for that, but it just makes it so much more efficient, which is so nice. You make me sad that I've never attended a Sonos briefing. Even when I went to the one in person, like it, it's, it always was like very concise and they really had like a, it, you could tell that they like practice and went through it and like nice. they chose what to say. Um, so before we move on, John, I know we talked about this when I said you're going to be on the podcast. You know nothing about Sonos. You are not a Sonos guy. Maybe not nothing. I don't even think you're a smart, a smart, a smart, nothing. Sure. That, that was a little, a little harsh. You don't know a lot about Sonos. I'll rephrase that. I guess I could be wrong, but you're not really that much of a smart speaker guy. With the Rome having heard all this, is this something that you would use? I Like for me, I don't really need to take music out of my house. Like I don't, that's just not something that I do. So it doesn't appeal to me, though I, I do think it's cool. And I think that this is something that Sonos should release. How do you kind of kind of stand on that? I'm very much in the same boat. I don't think that the Sonos Rome is a product for me at all. I have a bunch of Bluetooth portable speakers lying around, some that I've gotten because I worked at Mobile Syrup, some that I've I bought years ago and I honestly don't remember the last time that I used a portable Bluetooth speaker because I don't, I just don't need it. It doesn't fit into my lifestyle at all, especially now that with the pandemic, because I don't go anywhere. And when I'm at home, I, I do have a Sonos speaker. I have a Sonos one in the main room of my apartment and my wife and I use it all the time to listen to music. It, it sounds great, but outside of, you know, playing some music while we're cooking dinner or something like we don't really listen to music on a speaker, right? Like when I'm when I'm working, I put some headphones on, some noise canceling headphones on and just listen to music. And my wife does the same thing because we share an office. So I just, I don't see any way that the Sonos Roam fits into my life in a way where I'm going to use it on a regular basis and justify that $229 cost. It's an expensive speaker, but that's, that's me. And I recognize that a lot of people will use the Roam. So I think it's a great product. It's just not for me. I think that's fair. Like I have all of these smart speakers all over my house and beyond like controlling smart home stuff like Philips Hue lights. 
the only time that I really use one is I have a Nest audio in my bathroom and I'll like play music or listen to a podcast while I'm showering or getting ready in the morning. Like even the Sonos ones I have in my office. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The number of times I use them in a week, even though they sound great, is like, I don't know, like once or twice for like 10, 15 minutes at a time, something like that. I'm always listening to music with noise canceling headphones in my in my office while I'm working. That's typically how I consume audio content, even if it's like a podcast or something like that. So I can definitely relate to that. I see your guys side of that. But in my experience, the speaker I use the most, and I know that I was kind of like down, downplaying the move earlier, because it is too much, I never crank it full, but I use the move more than any other speaker in my house, because I can move it to wherever I need to be. You know that's what I mean? Cool. If I'm in the office, I'm listening to music on it because it sounds great, right? Like that's kind of what I'm expecting. I'm hoping for the Roam. It does sound good enough that it's worth like moving around with you because every Sonos, I have Sonos everywhere, but I literally carry the one between like this room, the kitchen, the bathroom, and the bedroom probably the most because it just sounds that much better. And I'd rather have music close enough to me instead of like blaring it from across the house. I'm hoping the Roam can kind of fill that niche. Cool. Let's move on and uh, talk about fun, fun carrier stuff. Yeah, fun, fun carrier stuff. All right, John, this one is 100% all you. Over the last few weeks, you've been like the key chief carrier reporter of Mobile Syrup in terms of these big stories. You broke the news about Kudo turning Canada-wide calling into a $5 add-on. But now, like yesterday, they quietly backpedaled on that. We kind of were tipped off by a reader, and, and that's how our attention was turned to it. Do you want to just break this down for us? Like it's it's become a bit of a bigger story and a bit more complicated even than it was last week when we briefly mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah, so we we talked about it super briefly on the podcast last week, but basically the super short version is Kudo changed all its plans to include provincial calling instead of Canada-wide calling. And then yesterday they changed all their plans back after, quote, thoughtful review. And uh, you guys can't see that, but I'm doing the, the air quotes. A lot of air quotes on this episode. A lot of air quotes. But yeah, so basically it was February 23rd when Kudo initially did the change. And we got tipped off earlier by uh, a source. And I was able to confirm everything with Kudo. And I think we published our article on February 18th ahead of the 23rd changeover. But basically at the time, Kudo was offering their Lunar New Year deals. And those deals all ended on the 23rd. When those deals ended... Kudo basically rolled out all their plans with provincial calling instead of Canada-wide calling. And if you wanted Canada-wide calling, it was an extra $5 per month. And Kudo kind of billed this as you know a great move for consumers. It was going to let people have cheaper plans and yada, 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 all that stuff. But the problem was, was that wasn't how Kudo structured it. So just as an example, let's say that Kudo had a $45 three gig plan before and then when they, with Canada-wide calling, and then they made the change, that plan became a $45 three gig option with provincial calling. And if you wanted Canada-wide calling, it was $50 for three gigs. The way that would have made a lot more sense if Kudo wanted to 
play the, this is great for consumers because it's going to lower your plan would have been that $45 plan became a $40 plan with provincial calling. And if you wanted the Canada wide calling, then it was $45. That makes sense. So essentially what Kudo did was they just blanket increased all of their rate plans by $5 a month if you wanted Canada wide calling. And the, the key part here was the change didn't impact existing customers. So if you were with Kudo and you had a plan, your plan didn't change. But if you wanted to switch your plan or if you wanted to upgrade your phone, then you would have had to switch to one of these new provincial calling plans and pay the extra $5 a month for Canada-wide calling. And then there was a bunch of confusion around that because at the same time as Kudo did that change, they also increased a bunch of legacy plans by $5 a month. And when I say legacy plans, I mean like people had plans for like seven, eight, nine, even 10 years that they were holding on to and had never changed. And Kudo yeah. just was like, yeah, we're going to increase. Plan. Exactly. So Kudo increased a bunch of those plans by $5 a month at the same time. And there was a bunch of confusion. People who had existing plans thought that Kudo was, increase, or Kudo was increasing their rates because of the new provincial calling changes. And it was just a mess. There was a bunch of confusion about it. And at the same time, as all that happened, Kudo separated their bring your own device pricing and their tab plan pricing. So what that means is basically Kudo has, for as long as I can remember, they offered unified pricing. So if you wanted to pay $50 a month for your cell phone plan, it didn't matter whether you brought your own phone or whether you got a phone from Kudo. Your plan was $50 a month. The difference was if you got a phone from Kudo, there was a tab associated with it. And that would add a tab charge onto your monthly plan that would pay off the cost of the phone. So you would pay $50 a month no matter what, but you might pay an extra 10, 15, 25, whatever dollars per month for your tab charge. And that was specifically for the phone. So when Kudo introduced the provincial calling, they also made a made tab plans about $5 more expensive than the equivalent bring your own device plan. So if you wanted to get a phone with Kudo, you're paying an extra $5 a month for no reason. Like that money wasn't going towards the cost of the phone. It was just going straight into Kudo's pocket. Cha-ching. And if you wanted Canada-wide calling, that was still another $5 on top of that. So, you know, a $45 plan with provincial or sorry, with Canada wide calling and on a tab was now a $55 plan. So what you're telling me is Kudo tried two, not one, but two sneaky ways to increase the price and have they reverted on both of them or just one? They've reverted on both of them. So mm -hmm. on March 9th, we were first tipped off by uh, a reader that the change was coming. And then after we got the tip from the reader, the website, Kudo's website had already changed over. I got confirmation from a Kudo spokesperson about it. And they said, quote, after thoughtful review, we have reintroduced unlimited Canada-wide calling and international messaging into all of Kudo's in-market rate plans. In addition to having one set of price plans for tab and bring your own device, we're committed to developing products and services that provide customers with more choice, flexibility, and opportunities to save while maintaining simplicity. And we will continue to listen to customer feedback to deliver solutions that meet their needs. So they didn't really say it, but if you read between the lines, Kudo probably got a bunch of negative feedback and backlash from customers, which led to them walking back their, their plans. So everything is basically back to the way that it was before, where it's unified pricing, where whether you get tab or bring your own device and you get unlimited Canada-wide minutes included in your plan, which is fantastic because... I can't help but feel like we played at least some role in that. Like if you look at the comments of your coverage, 
there's some really pissed off people like even on twitter and facebook and stuff like that so at the very least like not not to toot our own horn here but i think that your reporting got the word out about that change which Mm -hmm. must have like at least on some level highlighted it more and then caused additional outrage from kudos subscribers i think so yeah i think another part of this is the other carriers never not caught on but they never followed suit which usually happens you know i don't think kudo would have backtracked had virgin and fido done the same but they held strong that was my next question like do do i'll throw it out to both of you do you guys think that this is something that other carriers could still adopt at some point even though kudo has gone back on it because i I know that that was a concern to begin with or is this Mm -hmm. like this this kind of shady strategy dead in the water as it stands right now I I think it's kind of dead in the water as it stands. I really don't see other carriers making that change. So what what I had anticipated, because it started with Kudo, I thought that Virgin Mobile and Fido would follow suit because they are kind of in the same tier. Because if you think about it in Canada, there's the big three, Rogers, Bell, Telus, and then they all own at least two flanker brands. So like Telus owns Kudo, and then they also own Public Mobile, which is like their super low-cost one, which for that matter, Public also introduced similar provincial calling changes. And as far as I know, they have not reverted their changes. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that that happened around the same time, but the Public Mobile story did not get nearly as much um, flack. And I think part of that is Kudo, I think, has at least some level of goodwill with with customers because they've kind of been very stable. They've had their tab pricing for a really long time. They have not switched over to the device financing like Virgin Mobile and Fido have. So I think Kudo has kind of maintained some goodwill with with customers for a really long time. And making this change really upset a lot of people. It, it didn't sit well with a lot of customers. But yeah, I don't, I don't see Virgin or Fido introducing a similar change in part because of all the backlash that Kudo got and in part because Kudo has already walked it back. So if they were to do it now, it would look really bad after Kudo tried to do the same thing and then backpedaled. I'm sure the carriers will find another way to like get $5, $10 out of us. But like you were saying, I'm happy that this got changed. I feel like we never see like a if we write something, I feel like we never see the carriers be like, okay, like maybe we were wrong. Let's let's run it back to actually see like lasting, ch- not lasting change, but any kind of change out of that article and sort of out of this like backlash. I think I'm just excited about that, but I'm not a, uh, I'm not trusting Kudo anymore. I'm probably trusting less than I used to just over this whole situation. Absolutely. This is the first time I've ever seen this happen. Like a, a carrier actually like go back on on a change and it not become a trend across the the broader industry. I've never seen this happen. Yeah, like I, I think back to some of the other big mobile carrier changes I've written about. Like last year, they increased the connection fee from, I don't know, it wasn't a huge increase. It was from like $40 to $45. So an extra $5 for your initial connection fee if you switch carriers. But I remember it started with, I think, Virgin Mobile and Bell, and then it spread to Rogers, Fido, Kudo, and, and Telus. I think when I started at Mobile Syrup, those connection fees were for $30 and they went up yeah. $15 at $5 increments over the years. Yeah. And that's yeah, over they, just under a little over two years now. Yeah. Usually they go up, you know, at least once a year, they go up by a little bit. Got to increase that average revenue per user. It was the same thing when, when Rogers rolled out their infinite plans with the unlimited data. It was, you know, a couple of months after that was when Telus and Bell introduced theirs, right? So there's you know, this constant trend of one of the big three carriers making a change, usually a change that isn't great, whether that's increased price plans or a new 
kind of shady way to get more money out of people. And then the other carriers follow suit. And when that pattern happens, I find it can be really difficult for, you know, change to happen because all three form a unified front. And even if officially they don't work together or anything like that, right? Like I don't want to be out here banging the drum, shouting about, oh, there's some conspiracy where all the big three are working <laughs> together. But it, it often seems that way or feels that way when, you know, in the course of two or three weeks, all three carriers raise, you know, a connection fee by $5 or change some other price. Customers kind of feel like, okay, well, I'm trapped. I can't vote with my money by switching to another carrier because I'm going to get the same thing with a different carrier, right? I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's a good place to, to wrap up the, the core topics of this week's podcast. Let's quickly shift to talking about what we have been playing in terms of video games. As usual, I can I can kick things off. I've been playing a game that my brother brought to my attention that I like haven't really heard anything about. I think there's like a bit of a buzz behind it now because it's getting closer to its release, which is at the end of this month, I think. So it's Outriders. It's made by a Polish studio. People can fly and it's published by Square Enix. It's a looter shooter in the traditional sense where it's it's like Destiny. You, you play through missions, you collect equipment, you upgrade that equipment, you collect resources, you use those resources to upgrade your equipment. It's like very much that type of game. But what's different about it, first of all, is that people can fly as positioning it as not a games as a service. So you, there won't be any in-app purchases, none at all, period. I don't know if I believe them to be clear, but that's what they're saying right now. There won't be seasons. My guess is there will be like DLC expansion packs at some point because like obviously Square is going to make them turn this into some sort of a revenue stream. But hopefully they're like old school expansions, like back in the day when you'd like get Roller Coaster Tycoon and then buy an expansion to it, that sort of thing. And the game itself, it's like, it's a lot like Destiny or The Division or those other looter shooters, but it's also a little more interesting. So instead of it being focused on weapons, it focus, it's focused on abilities. And in that sense, it's almost like Diablo, where like you're taking down these hordes of enemies. It's a third person game but you're not, your gun is sort of just used as a stop measure to get back to your abilities. And that's how I've always felt about Diablo. Like I'm not a Diablo expert or anything. So I hope there's not someone like in the comments of our post about the podcast telling me that that's not at all what Diablo is, but that's what it, that's what it feels like to me. And there's a sizable demo available for the game. It's like four hours, which is pretty cool. You don't see that very often. Um, and it shows that both the publisher and the developer have a lot of confidence in the game and, and that people are going to like it. It's not perfect. Uh, the plot's a little hokey. It's kind of like an 80s action movie. So I, I enjoy it in that respect. Voice acting is not great. There's a few glitches. But as far as like games that have gone under the radar and then have been brought to my attention by a friend or family member, this is one of the ones that I've been the most surprised about. Like I've played it so much that I have leveled up two characters to the max that they can be at in the demo. And that's not something that I ever thought I would do in a looter shooter, let alone a demo in a video game. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm pretty hyped for it. Uh, and there's also cross-play, like cross-play across every platform imaginable, which isn't something you see very often with modern video games. Interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Outriders, Pat, because I also tried out the demo and I've been kind of keeping an eye on the game for a little while because I'm a huge fan of Destiny 2. But I feel like Bungie has kind of 
just made a lot of mistakes with Destiny 2 recently and the game is yeah. not in a state that's particularly enjoyable. So I was I was very much intrigued by Outriders and I was keeping an eye on it because I thought that maybe it would present a a good alternative to Destiny 2 and maybe some competition to get Bungie, you know, back on the right track. And when I tried the demo, I was honestly really unimpressed by it. I've heard that from a lot of people. It was just weird. I I think the biggest issue for me was that some of the mechanics felt very at odds with each other because it it has like almost like a cover shooter mechanic, kind of like what you'd see in Gears of War. But then all the abilities are designed around encouraging you to play very aggressive because it rewards you when you use an ability on an enemy and then you you take them out. It rewards you by healing your character. The the entire game is kind of it feels like it's structured around this very aggressive play style, which I thought that I would enjoy, but the game because of the cover shooter mechanic also punishes you for playing really aggressively and not using cover. So I I just found those two things like really contradicted each other and it it made some of the some of my time with it really frustrating. How far did you make it into the demo, can I ask? I made it I I played for a couple hours and I think I beat the first boss and Okay. You know, I I was thinking like maybe if I play it more I'd enjoy it more, but I was just like the cover mechanic was also kind of buggy for me. So like my character would not enter a cover most of the time when I hit the button, if he would just like stand there and then die. Yeah, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't click. Frustrating, but. I felt like that until I finished that first boss. And like, if you've made it to that and you still don't like it, it's obviously not for you, but it took, it took that long for it to click with me. I think the one thing I would say about the, the cover system is, and like, I think I've seen a couple of headlines about it. It's presented as a cover based game. Once you like get the hang of the abilities, it's really not, which is strange why the cover is even in there mm-hmm. because the game rewards you for playing aggressively, right? Like if you hide behind cover or even if you back off when your health is low, you're going to die. You have to kind of keep barreling ahead because when you use your abilities, most character builds, it depends on like which one you're using. There's, there's different build types. I can't remember the names of them offhand, but when you use your abilities and you take down enemies, your health restores. So it encourages you to be aggressive. So like, you're right, it is it is at odds. I think that later on, like some of the bigger battles and stuff like that, some of those are going to feature more cover, though I'm not, I'm not certain. Like, it'll make more sense to use the cover at least. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I could be wrong. I, I, I have seen that same criticism that, that you just talked about. So yeah, I, I, I definitely can see that perspective. Yeah, there was there was a couple other minor things that kind of I wasn't huge on, but I also recognize that it's a demo, so things can still change. You know, it's still in, in an early state. Bugs and stuff like that are fine. The one other really weird issue was there was a lot of yeah, yeah, loading yeah. screens those are, those where are like really strange, yeah, with the with the animations and the developers did like a little interview explainer on that with I don't remember the publication, but basically they said that. That was part of the co-op system because they didn't want to have dedicated servers. So they built in those loading screen animations so that when you're playing co-op, those act as like a checkpoint to bring all the players together when they move from area to area, which makes sense from like a game, like back end, how it functions and handles the co-op. That all makes sense. It just felt really weird. I mostly played it single player. I didn't have any buddies that were trying it out. So 
it just felt super jarring for me because I'd go from one area to another and I'd have to wait for this weird cutscene to happen. And the other thing with the cutscenes was they were like capped at 30 frames per second, which was super jarring because I was playing the game mm-hmm. at 144 frames on, on my PC. So every time one of these cutscenes would come up, my frame rate would just tank like crazy and felt super jarring. But anyway, all those little things, little things aside, I think there is some potential for Outriders to be a really, really great game. And I'm excited to see what happens when it launches and what comes out of it from there. But the, the last thing I would say about the game, because I know we, we have to move on, is that when you do play it with other people, there's some cool sort of like almost old school RPG mechanics where different abilities interact with each other. Like, I wish I could remember the names of the characters offhand, but there's an ability where like one person can freeze your enemies, but then you can slow down time and headshot those enemies like with using your own ability. So there's interesting stuff like that. But I, I do think that a lot of what you're saying is accurate and, and like, I don't expect the game to be huge. I think for me, it was more just something that I was surprised about. But yeah, John, I, I know you mentioned in the notes here that you, you were playing Outriders, but beyond that, what else have you been playing? The only real other game that I've been playing is Path of Exile, which I think I talked about briefly on the last pod, but it's kind of like one of those old school isometric action RPGs and kind of like the Diablo Bane, but it's free to play and it's it's been around forever. I saw something about them working on Path of Exile 2 that might arrive sometime later this year, but anyway, I've just been having a blast with that. I made this really fun character build that like that's cool freezes dudes when he hits them with a hammer and then i added on a bunch of other you can do this like cool support ability where you like have one main ability and then you tack on supporting abilities that augment it so i have a bunch of support abilities on it that basically will create ghosts of my character so when i hit one guy it creates like three or four ghosts that hit other dudes near me so it's like this huge just chain of freezing people whenever i swing my hammer and it's just really fun i've been having a blast with it that's cool um, all right, Bennett, tell us about uh, Planet Zoo. Planet Zoo is sick. If you ever played Roller Coaster Tycoon, like the original few Roller Coaster Tycoon and Zoo Tycoon games, this is basically what you wanted it to be then, but it's now. Um, it's just like a modern version of, modern recreation, I guess, of Zoo Tycoon. It's called Planet Zoo. There's another one called Planet Coaster, this Roller Coaster Tycoon. This is the same developers that did the Zoo Tycoon for Xbox One. that wasn't very good, but planet zoo is fantastic yeah but it's just like super basic you know what i mean like it it, it set a good groundwork for i think where they are now but like no it wasn't a whole lot i know it wasn't great you know what i mean like you kind of hit a wall pretty quickly but yeah in this one you can pretty much like design anything any way you want and there's like so many mechanics and really that's all it is i mean the zoo the zoo management is definitely half of it but an entire half of the game is just design you can just like build whatever you want it's like halo forge on steroids it's it's really incredible so yeah, I've just been building like, honestly, like office buildings for my <laughs> So one question for you, can I name people in the park or people that are working at the park after friends and family and drop them into water and watch them yes. drown like I did in Roller Coaster Tycoon as a kid? No, I, you can name people and you okay. can name things, but I don't think you can I, I remember doing up. super, I, um, I don't know what to describe it as like cruel things to, to characters in, in Roller Coaster Tycoon back in the day. All right, I I think that's a good place to wrap up the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Syrupcast. You can find me on Twitter at at Patrick underscore O'Rourke and of course at mobilesyrup.com. Bennett, where can people find you? Uh, You can find me anywhere at the Brad Fad and uh, my work is on mobilesyrup.com. And John, where can people find you? 
can find me on Twitter at John underscore Lamont. That's J-O-N underscore L-A-M-O-N-T and on mobileserp.com. Got to take notes from you and spell out my Twitter handle next time. I know I keep saying this. I just never remember. I always spell mine out because I spell my name John like with no H and most people spell John with an H. So I always clarify that. I can't even spell my own last name properly, so I don't expect other people to be able to. And as always, you can find all of our content on mobilesyrup.com and also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at at mobilesyrup. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.